0: Thank you. Cheers, Martin. Well, good morning, HBC. Good morning. and I to wave a cat. hello, everybody online in your pajamas. We know, bless you. Um, that was very judgmental, wasn't it? And that's the problem. We're talking this morning. I gave Martin a few dates, and um, and he gave me this one. Which is not the easiest thing. I was telling my colleagues at work, I've been asked to preach on judgmentalism. And every time I write a line, it sounds judgmental. The minute you have to preach on judgmentalism, you get paranoid about it. Um, and this week, let's be honest, it has been really easy to be judgmental, hasn't it? Have you, how many of you have been shouting at the telly? <laughs> yeah, not that it hears me, he completely ignores me. But I've been shouting at the telly all week. And quite frankly, the honest truth is I wouldn't want their job for all the tea in China. Would not want their job for all the tea in China. And yet I'm sat there shouting at them to sort it all out. Um, We're in this series about controversial Jesus. And it's based around this, this sermon that Jesus preached, Matthew 5 to 7, in which he teaches his followers some radical and profound ways to reorientate their whole lives to live a sort of Jesus type of life. And it's a wonderful sermon. He gave them a new way to deal with anger, a new way to deal with money. We heard about that last week. A new way to deal with your sex drive, a new way to deal with anxiety and with personal integrity, everything about our lives. He said, here's a different way to be a human being. And then he modeled it, which is even harder to do. Um, And for people who took these words seriously and put them into practice at the end of his sermon, read the end of his sermon, which is always used as a sort of Sunday school illustration. But the reality is, Jesus said, if you don't just hear this, but if you do it in the storms of life, even in the 21st century when the British government is collapsing, in the storms of life, your life will stand. So it's worth listening to. It's worth hearing. And uh, he was as he was teaching, however, I suspect something was happening in the audience, in the crowd, in the congregation, that always happens when people are preaching. Um, the nudging started. There's always nudging, isn't there? Sort of, love your enemies. Yeah, yeah. wish the mother-in-law was here to hear this one. <laughs> I've been enemy number one for years. Or... Don't be a hypocrite. Oh, I bet Jim's ears are burning right now. You know, that sort of nudging going on. And in typical style, Jesus sort of knows how we operate and he doesn't miss a thing. So this is what he says. If the slide goes forward, it'll be on the screen. There you go, wonderful. He says this, knowing what's in our hearts, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying our job is not to judge other people. Our job is not to speak with a spirit of condemnation and of blame. That's not who we're called to be. Now, why does Jesus feel the need to tell us all this? Well, the reality is it's because we all struggle with this. We can all be judgmental. We've all sat through sermons and we wished so and so was here, haven't we? We've all done it. One of the places uh, where we see the Spirit at work the most and where I see the Spirit at work most in me is because I have to commute. 36 miles each way to Guildford every day, and the minute I get behind the wheel of that car, I find I become rather judgmental as I'm driving along. particularly if I'm late, and someone who makes me miss a green light. I get very judgmental, very quick. Someone cuts me up on the M23, I get very judgmental. Start to imagine that driver sitting in bad driver court. And being sentenced to bad driver purgatory which involves sitting on the m25 for all eternity i imagine them having to do that well it doesn't matter whether you judge other people in their cars or in their homes or in their churches or whether you judge communities or nations or groups of people each of us is capable very easily capable of judging other people and condemning them. We all have a judgment trigger that sets us off. I do, and I know you do. Maybe your trigger's pulled by uh, personal history. Maybe you had a little encounter with someone at one point who rubbed you up the wrong way, who did something nasty to you. And ever since, people from that race, or that community, or of that nation, or whatever, that. That person and their whole group becomes a focus for your judgment and your irritation. You tar them all with the same brush. Maybe your trigger is your own issues. I do some counselling, and uh, one of the things I've discovered is that sometimes the things we dislike about ourselves, the stuff that really we hate about ourselves we just sort of project it onto others and we get very judgmental about anybody who displays that trait that we don't like in fact a weird thing if you ever find someone who's really really judgmental about a specific thing it's always a dead giveaway to what they're actually struggling with themselves so sometimes it's our own stuff that makes us judgmental of other people when they display that as well Or maybe your trigger is pulled when people who are different from you, people who make decisions or choose lifestyles that you might not disagree with, just trigger that judgmental condemnation response. Now, we all have a judgment trigger that wants to blame or condemn. And Jesus is saying that this condemning spirit has no place at all among those who follow him. Another reason Jesus doesn't want you to judge others is it's a convenient way to avoid our own issues. If I can find someone else whose life work looks worse than mine, I feel better. I feel better about my stuff, the things I'm not getting right, or I'm uncomfortable with in my own life, but they're worse, aren't they? So that makes me feel a lot better. I might not be very generous, but I'm Santa compared to so-and-so. Or I might be a bit cranky at times, but I'm Mother Teresa compared to what's-her-name. And we behave like that, don't we? This can be such a bad habit of Jesus followers because we use judging as a defence mechanism, a way to avoid dealing with the stuff in my own life that is wrong. And, of course, Jesus says this kind of attitude is totally backwards. He makes a joke about it. It's the best one-liner in the Bible, I think. It's a wonderful little joke, isn't it, about planks and specks? And do you know the word for plank that he uses is the word for the primary load-bearing beam in the house. He's basically saying it's an RSJ. It's the RSJ. It's the big issue, and the big issue is not their stuff the big issue brothers and sisters is my stuff and wouldn't it be good says jesus if i focus on that before i try and control everybody else's life another reason jesus feels the need to tell me this is because being judgmental towards others just doesn't help it makes no difference at all in fact it does damage rather than improving the situation. Some people are just destroyed by judgmentalism, aren't they? Some people are destroyed by it. Dallas Willard um, writes about what happens when people condemn you. Listen to this. It touches our identity and it causes self-rejection. You ever felt like that? Someone's Someone's had a go at you. Somebody said you're wrong, you're terrible, you're, you know, and judged you and written you off. And how do you feel about you? It floors you. It can touch our identity and cause self rejection. We feel ourselves to be a failure just for being the person we are. We wish to be someone else. But of course, we cannot. We are trapped and our life is made hopeless that's what judgmentalism can do to people it can make them hopeless which is a community who are all about hope that's an awful thing to do to somebody you ever feel stuck in that cycle you're being condemned and there's nothing you can do about it And it turns inward, it turns inward because it becomes not just what about what you've done, it becomes about who you are. And shame gets into your life and that's really toxic, really toxic. Other people are not destroyed by judgmentalism, they're just entrenched by it. And some people just dig their heels in, don't they, when they get judged. One thing guaranteed not to motivate you to change or to think differently is by being judged. Now, a little illustration of that, I've been invited to the dentist in a couple of weeks time, deep joy, I love going to the dentist, not. And I haven't really missed my annual trip to the dentist because it's always a bit of a weird experience, quite frankly, because you're in a chair at 45 degrees with a light shining in your face, quite a few kitchen utensils rammed in your mouth, And a small Hoover put in there as well, and a hygienist who wants to have a conversation with you in the middle of it all. So I always find it a bit unnerving going to the dentist. I don't know about you. But what would be weirder is if when I visit the dentist, he says to me, Wow, you've had two years. You remember two years ago, before this COVID thing, we had to cancel all these appointments. You remember I said, Floss, Bill? Well, you haven't flossed, Bill. In fact, I think it's probably because you're either very stupid or you're very lazy. Possibly both. Now, Phil, if you're running the rest of your life like that, you're in big trouble. Now, Rinse. Now, if somebody did that to me, what have I encountered? I've encountered judgmentalism. There's someone assuming all sorts of things about my life that are hopefully not true. And what is the likely outcome? What's the likely outcome? How much good is this going to do? Am I going to suddenly become a paragon of flossing? I don't think so. I don't know. Am I probably going to let their tires down? Well, I'm a Baptist minister, so I can't do that as I'm exiting the car park. What I am going to do is I'm never, ever going to listen to that person again. I'm just closed off. He has just closed off any influence he might have on my life. When you get judgmental that's what you're going to do to people they will shut you out you will never influence anybody by being judgmental because they are clearly more concerned in blaming me than in helping me it doesn't work and this is why jesus never you know—it's jesus like he never dealt with people like this Jesus knows judgmentalism doesn't change people, it entrenches them. I mean, take the Old Testament. The Old Testament is uh, is God's lesson in judgmentalism doesn't work. Judging people doesn't work. How many times did God say, I mean, the prophet after prophet after prophet, judge after judge after judge, read the book of Judges, and the people of God are told what they're doing wrong, and they're told time and time again, and what do they do? It's just this cycle, isn't it? of sin, repentance, rescue, sin again, just keeps rolling on and it doesn't work, that's why you have a New Testament folks, you have a New Testament because judging people doesn't work, it doesn't change them, the New Testament tells you what it does. Now, on the other hand, if my dentist, when I visit him in a couple of weeks' time, says, well, I've found a few cavities, I've found some gum disease, it's really quite serious, Phil. But that's okay. You're a human being. And I've seen worse. Take the lady who just walked out. Yikes, that was dreadful. You're fine. You just carry on. I won't give you a hard time. And by the way, have a word that's original as you walk out the door. Now, if he said that to me, what response have I encountered there? It's the opposite of judgmentalism, isn't it? It's indifference. So some of us swing the other way, don't we? From judgmental to completely indifferent towards people. And what is the likely outcome? Well, I'm definitely going to want to go back because he's offering free sweets. But the reality is, he's not going to help me either, is he? He's not going to help me either. And I'm probably going to be putting a blender on my Christmas list. So it's not good either. Indifference or judgmentalism, both extremes and neither one. And Jesus never dealt with people like that either, did he? Because Jesus knows indifference doesn't make our lives better. And isn't in our best interest. So, how did Jesus deal with us? I want to show you a little video clip because Jesus doesn't just talk about these things, Jesus lived it. And the way he dealt with people was radically different to judgmentalism or indifference. Have a little look at a clip, and this is how Jesus deals with these issues.
1: At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin.
0: See, the Pharisees were never going to change that woman's life by throwing her to the dogs. They were never going to change her life by condemning her and writing her off. But Jesus could change her life because first, he said, who condemns you? I don't. So while Jesus always rules out moral indifference, and he does in that clip rule out indifference to this woman, it's also clear there's a huge difference between the spirit of condemnation of the Pharisees and the spirit of advocacy by Jesus, standing alongside her and with her in the midst of all the stuff that she's dealing with. Both he and this woman can see that things are not as they should be. But all the Pharisees just dole out condemnation. Jesus wants to stand with her, to see transformation, to see her be all that she could be. And that's how Jesus dealt with me. And that's how Jesus dealt with you, isn't it? Not by condemning us or by indifference towards us, but by becoming our advocate, by standing alongside to help us, to lift us up, which is how he wants you and me to approach other people, irrespective of what their life looks like. You know another reason Jesus tells us not to condemn and the last reason I want to give you is in terms of how Christians are perceived out there in the real world because we have an image problem and that's not the image Jesus wants his church to have. I don't know if you ever watch The Simpsons, I used to regularly watch The Simpsons, I haven't watched it for ages actually, but I used to watch The Simpsons quite regularly. And you know that living next door to The Simpsons are a, a couple called Ned and Maud Flanders. Do you remember them? Ned and Maud? And uh, the Flanders are made out to be this sort of stereotypical, they're the Christians in The Simpsons, they're the stereotypical Christians. And in one episode, Ned's wife, Maud, goes away to Bible camp. And in her words, she says she's going to learn to be more judgmental. That's what she says. As if it's a training course that you can go on as a Christian. But that image, even though it's in the, in the, in the Simpsons, is really out there in the world. That image, just I know that. Sometimes when I'm at hospital, I'll stick on a dog collar which just announces slightly who I am. Not entirely who I am, but it announces what I'm there for. And uh, I'll walk onto a bay and it's amazing how some people get busy, really busy. Some people are suddenly struck with sleeping sickness and you can see them not noticeably. They just close their eyes and lean back and and hope you don't go near them. (laughs) And other people get an imaginary phone call and other people, you know, just pick up a book and, and are glued to it. It must be a wonderful novel. But, and that happens. And why? Because there is this reputation floating around that Christians are prejudgmental lot. Here's a little statistic for you to consider. There was a study by a group, a Barna Group, which is a group in America. I know America's different here, but it's a little indication. And they they showed that 87% of uh, young adults outside the church, between the age of about 18 and 35, 87% of them said that the term judgmental accurately described Christianity. 87%. And that's bad. That's bad. Something has gone wrong, hasn't it? You Remember what Jesus said? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He had the words judgmental in there. Quite the opposite. He said, by this, they'll all know that you're my disciples, that you love, that you're known for your love. Wouldn't it be great if this church and if my life and if your life were more known for what we love than what we dislike. Isn't that the job of a church? To declare what God loves. But sometimes we are guilty of judging others, of condemning others, of disregarding others before we ever get to know them, before we ever invest in their lives or before we ever give them a chance. So what do we do about all this? How do we do what Jesus says, which is do not judge? Well, the first thing we do is we choose to advocate for others rather than judge them. Advocate for them. You only have three choices, really. When you come up against behaviour and attitudes that are either harmful or that you don't like. Here's what you can do. You can be judgmental. And we've known, we've already seen, all that does, it will destroy someone or it will entrench them. It doesn't work. Or you can be indifferent, which basically is abandoning people and saying you don't care about them. It's not saying you love them, so you just don't care. Or we can be their advocate. We can stand with people. I've discovered one of the things that breaks down all those prejudices and judgments in my life is when I get alongside people, when I befriend someone who is very different to me, who challenges some of the ideas I have and some of the thoughts I have about them or their lifestyle. And when I spend time in friendship with them, I've got to tell you, all of that judgmentalism just goes away. You want a cure for judgmentalism? It's called proximity. Be with people. And you will find your judgmentalism melts away. The other way is to become as a corporate entity, because we're we're not just individual Christians, we're we're part of this thing called the church. We are the church. And the solution for that is to become a no-condemnation community. To be a bunch of people who don't condemn. We can't always control how we're received by the world, and some people will think we are Ned Flanders. They will. But we can do everything in our power to be a community that embodies the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that is full of grace and truth. Like Jesus did with that woman. Grace and truth, and that weird tightrope you walk between the two. No condemnation community, it looks like this. It's a a no condemnation community is a community marked by first compassion. Jesus' response to that broken woman should be our response to a broken world. We are not, and I know I'm not, better than the world. I've been shouting at the TV all week, but you know what? I'm I'm not much better. We're not morally superior. we are simply forgiven that's the gospel isn't it the gospel is not be better the gospel is be forgiven and we didn't earn it and we haven't worked for it but we are forgiven and we don't even deserve it we are simply forgiven that's the difference between me and someone who doesn't follow Jesus. <coughs> Choose to be a no condemnation community. So we need to stand beside people like Jesus did with that woman, like Jesus did with every single one of us. And it's why we follow him today to be their advocate. And God doesn't want to write anybody off, does he? I don't believe God writes anybody off, which is what judgmentalism does. His compassion for them is the same, exactly the same as his compassion for me. And when the church gets the power of that, things really start to happen. What an amazing community that gets that. And a no condemnation community is not only marked by compassion, compassion, is also marked by this rather scary word, confession. Because isn't that what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about that RSJ in my eye? To acknowledge it and to deal with it and to be honest about it. Jesus says, if you want to deal with a speck in your neighbor's eye, you first deal with a plank in your own. So we've got to get a lot better at plank management. Folks, we need to be good at plank management. Who here grew up uh, in a family with brothers or sisters? Hands up. Did you brother out with? It? Yeah, okay. You all grew up with brothers or sisters. On those occasions where you did something wrong and mum and dad spotted it and they asked the piercing question, Who started it? What was your answer every time? They did. They did. Yeah they did let me tell you they did it is not good plank management they did it is lousy plank management the phrase is not good the more we talk about everybody else's stuff the less we deal with our own and while it might be scary and while it does involve risk confession is where healing takes us. What James says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. That's scary, isn't it? I've got to admit, I find that scary, being the real me in front of somebody else. And you've got to find the right place. You know what? Plank management should be on the agenda of every small group in this church. It should be, shouldn't it? Plank management. Now, admittedly, some small groups can handle that better than others because everybody in small groups is at a different stage of faith. And for some people, they can't quite handle your stuff. So you need to be a bit wise. But you need to find someone, another follower of Jesus, and find someone with whom you can be real, walks and on. It's a good thing to do. And it makes you less judgmental every time. That's where being a community helps us. A no condemnation community. Let's practice some plank management. Because when a church gets the power of that, when we stop living in fear of condemnation, when we know we can come and other people can come just as they are. Watch out. That's a powerful community. And I don't want to be a part of a church like that. A church where transformation is really possible. Only God is without sin. Let's get this straight. Only God. None of us are. Only God. And only God, therefore, can judge human beings. And, that, and God entrusted that judgment to Jesus on a cross. He's done that. And it's why the scriptures say there is no condemnation for those who are in christ and as a community of people who embrace that with their lives and not just with their theology that will change lives and it will speak far louder than any judgments we could ever make on anybody else May God bless us as we practice our plant management. May God bless us as we become a community and a people that walk in this controversial way, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Behaviors or attitudes trigger judgmentalism in you? Would you like to be known more for what you like than what you dislike? What changes do you need to make? help the church to be a no condemnation community.